On today's episode, the many paths to success and fulfillment for amateur runners with Matt Chittam. Welcome to the Run Smarter Podcast, the podcast helping you overcome your current and future running injuries by educating and transforming you into a healthier, stronger, and smarter runner. My name is Brody Sharp. I'm the guy to reach out to when you've finally decided enough is enough with your persistent running injuries. I'm a physiotherapist, the owner of the Breakthrough Running Clinic, and your podcast host. I'm excited to bring you today's lesson and to add to your ever-growing running knowledge. Let's work together to overcome your running injuries, getting you to that starting line and finishing strong. So let's take it away. Hey guys, I hope you enjoyed the first Q&A episode. Last episode that we published, uh, it was from the Patreons and we talked about running injuries and I had a really good time answering all the questions. Hopefully I did a good job. Hopefully you came away with some running tips. Uh, If you're not a Patreon and you are injured, hopefully there was a lot of valuable information that you took away from it anyway. yeah, so I had a lot of fun with it. I will be asking everyone over across all the social media platforms and who are taking the running course, who are Patreons, I'll be asking everyone um, expert questions. So pay attention to social media for the upcoming uh, experts that are on. And if there is a huge influx in questions and I don't have enough time, the Patreons and the ones who have paid for the Run Smarter online course will have priority. But um yeah, I still wanted to deliver as much value as I can, still wanted to make it free and accessible for everyone. So this is a a really good happy medium because you're still getting a lot of cool takeaways. Matt Chittam is the host of the Rambling Runner podcast, which is how I first heard about him, but then found out he's a running coach and he does a whole bunch of organized virtual races and really loved his stuff. So reached out to him and wanted to get him on. And I asked like, based on your running expertise and your coach expertise, what's a really nice topic to come up with? And he just straight away said the many paths to success and fulfillment for amateur runners. And I said, oh, perfect. Let's take it away. So we organized this call and went down a couple of um, paths that I wasn't expecting. So uh, we talked about habit formation and the uh, different ways a runner can have success and then talking about at the end um, how we can phrase your overall motivations and how we can uh, make sense of fulfillment and how we can best thrive as a runner and so really really tied up nicely you're going to take a lot away from this no matter what your experience or what type of runner you are and so I'm excited to share so without further ado here is Matt Chittam. Matt, I'm really excited to have you on. Your your running coach, the podcast, I'm following it all at the moment. I'm really excited and love the the information that you deliver and the expert guests that you have on. And really excited about this topic today, the many paths to success and fulfillment for amateur runners. And I just want to start off by saying welcome to the Run Smarter Podcast. I'm excited to be here. That's for sure. And I'm excited to talk about you know, the journeys that so many us dedicated amateur runners uh, go through and, and learn from, from you as well, Brody. You're someone who's well-versed in so many things, and I'm just really excited to be part of this. Thank you so much. Uh, can we just start off with maybe a little um, trip through your career as a running coach and your podcast journey? Let's do it. Sure. Let's, uh, so how, how did the whole career start off and uh, where in that running career did that podcast take off? 
So it actually, the podcast on, you know, the podcast may have come first, actually. Uh, so from a running perspective, I mean, I've always run. Let's just put that out there. So, you know, I really got into it when I was a kid. My dad uh, kicked cigarettes when I was in sixth grade, I think, and then kind of picked up running. He basically just traded one addiction for another, so to speak. And I kind of would start following him to local 5Ks and, and do that sort of thing. And, you know, I was always pretty fast in sports and, you know, your, you know, your, your gym class or physical education testing and things like that. But I started, you know, going to 5Ks with my dad, and I enjoyed that. Uh, in high school, uh, I really focused on basketball. I played college basketball as well and later coached college basketball, uh, and I, that was really the, the focus of my life. But even in high school, I ran track, and in college, I uh, was really get excited for our, uh, our, our college basketball, you know, kind of like our physical fitness tests, so to speak. You know, when we would come into camp and come back from, uh, from summer break, we'd have to do different testing, and I was always amped to do the running side of it. And then post-college, I really started running a lot more. And that became something a little bit more than a hobby and joined some local running groups and started doing, you know, 5 a.m. track workouts and really kind of taking my kind of the energy that I had previously spent on basketball and really moved it to running. Uh, I wish I could say that I was consistent with that. I wasn't. I think like a lot of amateur runners, I was kind of up and down with my consistency and maybe some of my motivation or even finding goals that I felt you know, captivated by as opposed to just doing something because it was what everyone else was doing. You know, like I think a great example of this for a lot of runners is the marathon. Uh, I didn't have any, you know, great, the marathon didn't have this great appeal for me. It was just kind of like what was next. And because of that, I kind of floundered for a little bit. And then on the podcast side, you know, when I started kind of getting back into running in you know the early to mid 30s I'm, I'm 39 now um i that's also when i started diving into the podcast so uh when i worked at providence college which is a school in the united states in providence rhode island i uh, actually you know we're talking, talking about australia if you're a bryce cotton fan down in australia he went to providence college and he's a oh, big cool. uh, big huh. big pro basketball player down in australia now um so uh my friend and I started the, the Promise College podcast, which was one of the first college and university podcasts in the country. And then uh, when podcasting kind of shifted and Anchor was the first app, at least here in the States that I was aware of, where you could create a podcast, you know, in terms of the, um, you know, recording either the phone call or yourself talking, uh, just using your phone and really limiting the barrier to entry from a technological standpoint. Uh, once that launched, I started my running podcast that day, you know, because the app that I used, Anchor, and I still use it, um, it used to be basically audio Twitter. And I don't know if you've ever seen one of those apps, Brody. There's an awful idea because <laughs> it's such a time waster. But because I had the app on my phone already, when they pivoted their strategy, I was on their email newsletter list. And I was like, hey, like, hey, I can do a podcast on my phone now and I don't need a laptop or, you know, production guy or anything like that. Like, let's give it a try. So I started the Rambling Runner podcast that day with the idea of talking to dedicated amateur runners who had inspiring stories to tell. Uh, my idea at the time was, I don't care if anyone listens to this show. I just want to have these interesting conversations for my own sake. And if people want to listen to it, hey, all the better. And you know, I, I had come from building the Promise College podcast, which we had 50,000 alumni 
Brody. You would think wow. that we would have had a substantial audience for the show, and it just wasn't the case. When I was there, each episode had you know, 100 to 300 downloads. And for me, I was like, hey, that's fine. Like, I didn't know, I didn't know whether that was good or not. So I was just like, hey, this is fine. So when I started my own podcast, it was, you know, I, like I said, I didn't care if anyone listened. And good thing I felt that way, Brody, because for the first six months, no one did listen. So, <laughs> um, and that was fine with me because I was getting kind of like, I was almost at the same level as, as the, the podcast I'd created uh, at PC. And I was like, you know what? That's, that's a win because no one knows me in the running industry. And PC has 50,000 alum. If we have the same listenership, I'm cool with that. But the podcast uh, really took off after that, my man. It was, you know, first six months, I had 8,000 downloads in total. Uh, then I basically used the podcast as a tool for, for kind of working on my social media marketing skills for my day job. And with the idea that, Hey, no one's going to care if I make a social media mistake with this podcast because no one's paying attention to it anyway. So it was kind of like I was playing with house money to some degree and it really worked. You know, I did a lot of different things differently on the podcast. I think I improved the show, but I also really went after it in terms of my social media marketing. And the first six months of the show, like I said, we had 8,000 downloads. Uh, the following 12 months, we had a million. So wow. it changed rapidly. And that's also the same time when, you know, I was a coach previously. I coached college basketball for seven years. I loved coaching. I thought I was going to be a coach forever. It's just not a profession, especially for college hoops that lends itself to family life. And once I came to grips with the idea that I wasn't going to be a father or husband that I wanted to be, if I was going to be coaching and working the unbelievably long hours that it takes to be a good coach, I shifted focus and, and moved out of it. And I always wanted to get back into coaching. And then with my entree into the running community through the, through the podcast and talking to experts and dedicated amateur runners all the time, I decided to go full force and start studying up uh, for, you know, to get my certification as a coach in the running space and then start working with athletes. And, you know, I've been doing that for a couple of years now and it's been, you know, really enjoyable. And it's just so much fun to be back on the coaching side after, uh, after about, you know, eight years out of, out of the coaching game. And I, there wasn't a day that I didn't miss it. So it's fun to be back in, in inside of that, that realm. So cool. Thanks for sharing that. It's such a great like podcast origin story as well. And for anyone who's listening and wants to start their own podcast, it's, it's great to hear that like you might have started off a bit slower, not too sure what to expect, but in those moments, like in those first six months where you're only getting 8,000 downloads, you're probably learning a lot along the way around like, you know, episode titles and interview styles and speaking styles, that kind of stuff. And uh, once you start finding your feet and getting a good following, you you sort of got a little bit more confidence and a little bit more um, self-reflecting uh, tools that you've built on over the, as that time goes on. No doubt about it. And I'll tell you, my podcasting friends and I always joke that when someone's new to the show, they'll say something like, hey, I, I just found your show. I love this recent episode. I'm going to go back and start from the first episode and go all the <laughs> way through. And you're like, oh, no, don't do that. Please don't do that. Start yeah. from the most recent and move backwards, please, because the first bunch are uh, are quite embarrassing. Um, <laughs> and, you know, not, not to say that I'm, you know, a pro's pro even now, but uh, the first ones, uh, you know, shoot, I really take a licking yeah. <laughs> as the host. Um, but you know what? In that sense, it's really no different than an athletic pursuit. You know, you're starting from scratch. Certainly, podcasting has transferable skills to other things that I've done in my life, uh, from either a professional level or in you know from hobbies that I've had. 
But for the most part, in terms of building up the show, it's no different than someone takes up a new sport or any other brand new thing. And just because you have a, you know, this insane passion for a show that you want to create, and hopefully you do have an insane passion for it, because if you don't, it's going to be hard to keep the momentum going when things aren't going great. And they might not go great for a long time. You know, Absolutely. you have to stick with it because, you know, it, it's not going to happen quickly to the yeah. point where you see folks who, you know, are TV stars, who are, you know, famous artists or, you know, famous musicians or film stars, actors and actresses and so on and so forth who are starting podcasts and good for them. But even those folks, they don't automatically get a pass when it comes to audience building. They might have a lot of people following them on social media channels or in their profession. But if the show isn't great, then are people going to listen? Probably not. You know, and with every new venture comes that idea of, hey, you have to prove yourself within that space, even to the point where like, if I'm launching a brand new podcast and I have more than one, right? So I have the Rambling Runner podcast and that's what we're going to be talking about today. But I have a new new show called the Business and Sports Discourse where it comes out three times a week. Me and my co-host, Jason, we talk for 20 minutes about a very specific topic at the intersection of sports and business. So you know, I'm, I'm doing that show and like I'm starting out, even though I have an audience, I'm rambling runner. I'm basically starting out from zero on this launch and you, know, you just have to keep working it and just keep working it. And if that <laughs> reminds you of sports, it should, because all of these things are related that way. That's unreal. And there's always a saying I like to repeat to myself. And it's, if you're not embarrassed by the first episode that you put out there, then you've probably started too late. And it's, you know, you need to fumble your way through it a lot. And looking at your podcast and looking at the, your website and things, it seems that you are working a lot toward helping the amateur runner. And where does that passion lie? Like what, where does that drive and motivation come from for, for helping these sort of runners? And I wouldn't even say it's helping those sorts of runners. I would say it's more of showcasing those sorts of runners. And if that helps people along the way, fantastic. But I think that with the Rambling Runner, it's about telling interesting stories about interesting people that are also relatable. So you have the entertainment part of that. You also maybe have inspirational and motivational part of that. And you might also have, you know, how, you know the kind of like the logistics behind that of like, hey, this is how I did it and people might be able to take um, bits and pieces of it or maybe even large chunks of their story and say, hey, I can kind of superimpose those things onto my own life and, you know, see where it takes me because I can really relate to that person for a variety of different reasons. And that's, that's a huge thing for me. But I, it's definitely not about helping them per se. I think there's the entertainment piece, uh, there's the motivational piece, and then if, you know, if we can provide, um, you know, whether it's running related tips or advice or just showing people different ways to get to their literal or metaphorical finishing line, then, hey, that, that's a great thing too. Cool. And on the flip side with your running coach uh, world, are you dealing with runners of all abilities or is it more tailored for that amateur runner? Yeah, I mean they're all they're definitely all amateur runners for sure, for sure. Really cool. Um, you know, I would love to I would love to coach a professional runner, Brody, but I don't think there's anyone <laughs> you know knocking on my door just yet. I definitely have some folks who are you know on the cusp of or who have broken three hours in the marathon, which is a big deal, you know, which is a huge deal. And and one of those folks is actually a female runner, which is you know even more outstanding for them. Um, 
you know, because you have, you know, obviously the male and female discrepancy, but it's, you know, it, it really is enjoyable to work with so many of the folks. And for me, how fast they're running, it really, after like that first entry phone call, it really doesn't matter. Like, I don't take any more joy of working with a faster runner than a slower runner. I think the joy comes from creating that personal connection with them, being able to engage with them in a meaningful way to kind of experience the highs with them. And then also, you know, kind of help them through and, and, and kind of experience some of the challenging moments as well, and then get them hopefully to where they want to be and maybe even past that. And I think that's the, that's the ideal. That's the part that's really enjoyable. And ultimately that those sorts of characteristics and factors aren't necessarily related to how fast they are when they first, you know, kind of, you know, join up and, and I start working with them. Yeah, that's really cool. And when we're talking about the common characteristics and all that, that we'll talk about in a second, with the topic being the many paths of success and fulfillment, I want to kind of start with delving to a little bit more of the psyche of this amateur runner. And I thought I'd ask you if there's any common frustrations that you see this sort of population come like try and face. Yeah, I think that there's a couple things. First of all, especially when you're talking to somebody, you know, 25 years old and older, uh, time is going to be an issue, Uh, especially if they're trying to run at their best possible level at, you know, the half marathon and marathon, right? Time becomes a major issue. Not to say that you shouldn't put in major miles if you're training for a 5k. I mean, shoot, you know, professional milers run 80 miles a week minimum. So, you know, the more miles you can do, it, it definitely helps you out. But the the longer the races that you're planning to run in and excel at, you know, the more time it's going to take for training and all the things that are related to training, right? I mean, you're, you're physio, you know all those things intimately well. And, you know, time is of the essence. And a lot of the people that I work with or a lot of the people who come on the show or listen to the show, almost all of them have families, right? They're parents or they're about to be parents. Um, They have jobs, they have spouses, they have an endless list of things that are tugging on, um, you know, on their time. And there's, you know, certainly no end to the time constraints that, uh, that they're dealing with. So it becomes a matter of how best to fit running into that schedule and, and do it in a, in a sustainable way where when I say sustainable, I don't just mean like that they're able to do it, but that they're excited about it, that it becomes um, something that brings you know, happiness and joy to their life, generally speaking, um, and not something that is, you know, creating, you know, panic, anxiety, stress, things like that. Now, shoot, everything can cause those in small doses. Um, and I'm sure that there are days where every runner, including myself, experiences that. But I think on the whole, you know, these people are amateur runners, which means that this is a hobby, you know, and, and people sometimes don't like to hear that, but it's true. It's, it's literally the definition of a hobby. It doesn't mean they don't take it seriously, though. But we also want to make sure that they don't take it seriously. And that is something that, again, that brings joy and fulfillment to their life because there are plenty of other things that may not be doing those uh, and may not be bringing those sorts of things to their life, but are mandatory parts of their life. So if running isn't doing that for them, ultimately, it's probably not going to be part of what uh, they stick with for the long term. 
there's, there's so many things to unpack there. And I just love that you just answer my question with so much value. Um, you're talking about like trying to fit their... Just quickly chiming in here to let you scholars know, I have just updated my five-day injury prevention challenge. This is one email per day for five days, learning new concepts and diving into the science on how you can reduce your risk of injury. The sign-up link is in the show notes, so fill in your details and I'll be waiting for you in email number one tomorrow. Like work running around their schedule and I think that's such a great idea because it helps settle down their mind and I think when you're talking about anxieties and stress, it's, there's so much more calm to the mind when you do have a plan and someone's able to help you design a plan. And do you have any tips for someone who might be um, not knowing how to structure their day or any tips that they can have to work in a run if they feel like they're um, overwhelmed with tasks and family and other hobbies, that kind of stuff? Absolutely. So, you know, there's a lot of things that people can do. So say it's someone who, you know, the, the example you just gave it kind of, I think of somebody who maybe is new to running or hasn't been, hasn't run for a while and they're paying it back up. Um, that kind of individual, unless they're just like killing it in some other exercise probably needs to start in very slowly. Okay. So let's just assume that uh, for the sake of this example, that like that they can run right? That physically they're able to run. They don't need to start with some sort of walk run, um, you know, situation. So say they can run. I think the best thing to do is to say, you know what, I'm going to do easy running 30 minutes a day and try to fit that in four to six times a week. Okay. So that's kind of, if you can get to that level and sustain that for a long period of time, you're in a great spot. Now, if you're starting from zero, that might be a tall ask. And I think that there's a lot of research that's been done in terms of habit forming that is very interesting because really what you're saying is I want this to be a habit of mine, not something that I have to think about and make decisions upon every day of, okay, am I going to run? How far am I going to run? How fast am I going to run? Where am I going to run? What time am I going to run? You want all of those decisions to be made in advance, either because you've decided that this is just part of your life or because you have literally made these decisions in advance and you, you could answer these questions with specificity and point to, you know, like documentary evidence that you've already made these decisions. So I think the first thing to do is, okay, what are the barriers to entry for me for running? So for a lot of people, especially people like me who have families and jobs and spouses and so on and so forth, it's the time component so what I do is I run before my kids are awake. You know, if I wait for my kids to wake up, then who knows what's going to happen next? So, <laughs> Game over. Um, you know, so I think the other thing is a lot of people will run either, either after work or after their kids go to bed. I think that you'll see that a lot and you'll see some people who will have the chance to run at lunch. But I think that what we can talk about here is setting up no matter what time frame they're looking at is setting up the little habits. So first things first. Make sure that you set up everything that you need for your run ahead of time. So for me, and this is, I've been running in the morning for a decade, Brody. I still have to do this and I still do do this. I will set out, I'll, I'll, you know, basically I'll set my coffee maker the night before. I'll get my running clothes. I'll put them downstairs. We have a two level house. I'll put them downstairs in the bathroom 
before, you know, the night before. I'll get my shoes ready. I'll get, if I'm wearing a coat, that's down there. I'll get, you know, if I'm wearing a hat, that's there. My armband for my, my, my phone will be down there, right? My headphones, they'll all be in the bathroom where I'll, like, I'll change downstairs so that, you know, it won't wake up my kids or my spouse, right? All of that's done the night before. Why? So that when I wake up that morning, if I have to do all that, as soon as I wake up at 4.30 in the morning, which is the time I wake up, like all of a sudden I'm introducing hurdles that I may not be able to cross or may choose not to cross. So you want to eliminate those right off the bat. Okay. So I think, you know, there's a lot of steps getting there in terms of different hurdles that, that different habits that you can form. For some people, it's just a matter of, getting the shoes on. Once you get the shoes on and the clothes on at that point, it's just, you know, it, the run's going to happen. Right. And so sometimes it's, it's not about, can I go for a run? It's can I get on my shoes and my clothes? So kind of reframing the activity or the actions that you need to do to get the activity started. Um, and, you know, say, hey, there's this interesting book uh, called Tiny Habits by BJ Fogg that touches on this of like, hey, first, for, the first habit is, can you wake up at the time you need to wake up? Can you just wake up and get out of bed? So maybe for the first week, if you've never woken up at 4.30 or whatever time you need to do, maybe for the first week, your, your habit is, I'm going to set my alarm for 4.30. When it goes off, I'm going to wake up and I'm going to go downstairs. And if I do that, I won. I, it was a successful day. So again, you'll set up all your stuff for success. But if you just go downstairs, then that's success for the first week. Again, you're just building habits. This might sound utterly ridiculous, Brody. It sounds ridiculous as I'm saying it, but it's just building that habit. Then the next step is, all right, new habit. I'm going to go downstairs and I'm going to put on my running my running clothes. If I do that, it's a successful day. Again, you might not go for a run. Maybe you do. Maybe you don't. But if you do, hey, give yourself two high fives. All right. But if you don't, it's fine. You're just building the habit. And then you kind of step by step by step. You get there. And all of a sudden, it's become part of your life. You're not making decisions anymore. They were pre-made. You made them three months ago. Right? Not even the night ago. You made them three months ago. You made them three years ago. This is just what you do now. This is who you are. And that eliminates some of the things that will potentially be barriers to entry for you. Because ultimately, ultimately, having enough time to exercise is not a matter of, do I have this time? It's about, am I prioritizing this for me and my family? Because if you don't prioritize, you know, 30 minutes of exercise four to six times a week, then you're not prioritizing your family. Because ultimately, that's just the bare minimum for living a healthy life. And if you're not living a healthy life, then your family, as well as yourself, is going to bear the brunt of that later down the line. Hopefully later, hopefully not sooner. But this is just the, the, the small little things that we need to do as humans to live a healthy life. And it's easy to say, I just don't have time for that. But when you say that, what you're also saying is that I don't have enough time to think about my family's long-term stability. because it's not going to be very stable if you're coming down with serious health problems because you weren't able to exercise for 30 minutes a day, four to six times a week. 
you're preaching to the choir. <laughs> I, I love hearing about this stuff and I'm a massive fan of form, forming like habits and the correct way to form habits. So um, it doesn't sound crazy at all to me. And what you're getting across is like when it says for the running, so you're preparing the night before as much as you can and you're just making it easier for yourself when you have to make that decision to go for a run in the morning. And when we're talking about like this topic being success and fulfillment, this is setting you up for success. It's uh, making it the easiest possible way for you. And that's what I really love about and really love about your answer. And I know in my experience over the past like five, 10 years, I've really worked hard at things like diet, like improving my diet, improving my exercise, improving say like reading books and personal development, that sort of stuff. And I understand the power of just starting small, just like making, like when it comes to diet, I thought when I first moved out of home, I was eating junk food and crap and didn't know really how to cook. But over the years, I just swap out my, like my homemade pizza for like a salad and meat. And then I'd maybe get rid of the salad or maybe I'll add another vegetable in, or maybe I'll just like make these small, small little tweaks every say two or three months. And then over the course of five years, you're eating really, really healthy. And that's sort of where I found myself at the moment. So definitely Brody, preaching to the choir there. That? Yeah. Can I ask you about that? Because of I have, I have, you know, if I don't have the world's, you know, biggest sweet tooth, I, I'm in the running, right? I'm in the, I'm in the final four of that competition. <laughs> so when you made that shift uh, with your diet, oftentimes we hear people say like, all right, my taste buds changed. And all of a sudden I didn't crave that sort of thing anymore to the point where now that's kind of like, then almost like, like the cool thing to say about, um, you know, diet change. Is that, was that your experience or what, what did you go through when you first started to really dive into uh, that kind of uh, adjustment? Well, my adjustment was way too gradual for me to notice any like changes in cravings, you could say. Um, It's like I still have a sweet tooth and I'll still eat some sugary foods here and there unless I decide to put myself through a challenge. I just went through a three-week challenge of no sugar and um, that is different in itself. But when we're talking about habit formation and changing like cravings, it was just like literally I went from say my lunches every day was um, a salad sandwich. Okay, maybe now in a couple of months down the track, let me get rid of the white bread. Instead of just having a sandwich, let me have it in a bowl and um, still have the meat in there, still have ham or salami or something like that. Um, But uh, it's too little of a change to, to notice a massive difference in my hunger or my cravings and then I just keep it that for two months, three months and then say, okay, how can I tweak the next thing? Um, I think the very first thing I tried to do when I moved out was let me keep my diet exactly the same, but let me just add one more fruit. And I added like bananas and that's all I did. And so, yeah, I made the smallest, smallest adjustments and it made the, the biggest changes like years down the track. Oh, that's interesting. Well, good for you for keeping it going because oftentimes when people try to do you know, either habit formation or, or these sorts of things, what they're really trying to do is have some sort of transformation. And the hard part when it comes to transformation is, is that you want to have this massive shift either within your body or externally or both. And 
you have this certain picture in your mind, or maybe you have a vision board and there's literally a picture staring at you every day in the morning. Um, but it's often, it takes so long to get to that point that if transformation is the goal, that sometimes can just be too big of something to focus on for somebody because the amount of time it takes to get there often leaves you wanting in the short term. Yeah. And, and often if you think about say the body homeostasis, like if your body um, changes state, then your body will start producing or having reactions to try and return you back to that homeostatic state. Like if you get too hot, it'll put in uh, these sort of, it'll make you sweat or make you pant or make you bring, try and bring you back to homeostasis. The same thing is with habit formation and diet and that sort of thing. If you try and do uh, too much and try and uh, make a too much of a leap, your body's going to go into a bit of shock and be like, what's going on here? Let me try and pull you back to homeostasis. And that comes with more cravings. Like you start to crave more sugar, you start to crave more carbs or something like that. And um, it can often pull you back too quickly. And then you have that, um, that rebound effect. And if you just make the, the smallest adjustment that your body can hardly tell, then that's not going to happen. That's a good point. That's a great point. And it's, you know, one of those things where these, the small adjustment model or small goals or, you know, small habit model, I think the, the barrier to entry there for so many people is, well, this isn't going to matter. Like, wait, are you going to be at 4.30 and the goal is just to get downstairs? Like, what does that have to do with anything? Yeah. And hey, I'm not going to lie to you. I mean, like, I didn't have, the, I had the exact same thought when I first you know picked up the book and read it, which is part of the reason why I bought it. So I was like, this is so antithetical to some of my own thinking. Like there may be something to this. At least I should kind of uh, educate myself a little bit as to this. And you know, maybe there are some positive things to be taken from it. And uh, in my experience, there were a lot. I wanted to like steer a little bit into more the fulfillment side of things. So I think that we've covered that success part of the topic really, really well. And just steering into the fulfillment side of things, when we, when I had a look at this topic title and um, the first, like the first thing I would imagine is like a runner who gets caught up in say competitiveness and gets caught up in races and gets caught up in like chasing PBs or getting as many medals as they can. And that competitive competitiveness can sort of lead to overreaching overstepping like goals which leads to injury which leads to frustration which leads to trying to rush back too quickly which leads to you know still managing a chronic injury and then being really really frustrated um that's when you're talking about the many paths of success and fulfillment maybe that competitiveness uh isn't really truly serving you for a, a long fulfilled career um, have you seen that that downward spiral within runners? Yeah, see, I think the the domino effect that you laid out, I think while that has probably happened to certain people, I think that we have to remember that there are a, just almost an infinite amount of small decisions that come along the way that, that have an impact on that. So they're not going to find one particular characteristic or um, or idea or goal or or even obsession that is going to that's going to necessarily lead 
to that domino effect with this horrible outcome at the end. So along those lines, you're going to have certain other people who could help out and just, just the decision-making process, right? Because you'll have certain individuals who maybe start going down that path to mix metaphors uh, on you there, um, where you know, maybe all of a sudden they get a result that they weren't expecting and it's a negative result. And it forces them to have, you know, to be introspective and say, hey, why did this happen, right? What, what, what can I learn here? What happened here? Was this purely a matter of, matter of circumstance? Was I just, did I just happen to get sick today? Was, you know, did I not account for the elevation change of this front? Did I not account for the weather or, or so on and so forth? And, um, and certainly those are things that all play a part in, in how well we run. With that said, I think that we all have come to points where we may be going down a path that isn't necessarily what we envisioned or what may be best for us. But along that path, shoot, man, you know, we all think, you know, 10,000 thoughts every minute, you know what I mean? And, and we all come to conclusions and, and things like that where, where we're able to really analyze how things are going and where we're going. And I think that, you know, we often do that to the point where, you know, I, I can't think of a characteristic that will automatically lead to that sort of negativity um, without there being a million decisions in between uh, that, helped, that helped you along that negative path. And uh, uh, so with that said, I will say, you know, if you want to actively pursue something, it's almost, you know, it's almost completely necessary that you have a passion for either that entire activity or certain elements of that activity and process um, to, you know, in order to keep you, you know, doing, you know, the uh, required work necessary for that endeavor. So, um, you know, if you're, if you're talking a long-term approach, there have to be elements that you are passionate about. And maybe it's just a passion for being outdoors, which is fine. And if running is your medium for experiencing that joy, hey man, that's awesome. You know, and maybe it shifts. Maybe if that's, maybe if the goal is to be outside, then at one point it's running. And then either a different season or a different season of your life, if it shifts to another activity, it becomes rowing or biking, and then it comes back to running. Great. If it's purely running and say, hey, no, my goal is I want to see, I want to be the best version of myself as a runner. Well, we don't know what that is. So there's no time goal attached to that. But maybe you say, you know what? I think, you know, an able-bodied male who trains really hard for four to six years and is in pretty good shape, should be able to run under three hours in the marathon. Maybe that's your take, right? And you know, there's, there's evidence out there that maybe supports that. Um, so then you say, all right, well, I'm gonna do that. I wanna break three hours in the marathon. Is that arbitrary number? Yes, but that's my goal. And I'm gonna do the things I need to do to get there. I think it's important to remember that psychology and your emotions are directly tied to your performance. So no matter what your goals are, whether they be PBs or medals or something holistic and comprehensive, like enjoying nature, you're only going to get there if you can calibrate your mind to experiencing that journey in a positive light. Because if you can't, then you're not, frankly, you're just not going to be able to perform at the level necessary to get there. 
right? Like you can't train and race angry for 10 years. You just can't do it. So um, you, know, you have to be able to appreciate the positive side of things. If, again, I'm not talking about, hey man, every day is unicorns and, you know, and lily pads. You know, it's like, it's experiencing the actual joys of the journey, the actual parts of the running that you enjoy, the actual parts of the community that you enjoy, whether that's the physical community around you or the social media community that you engage in. Because if you aren't able to do that, then you will not be the best runner that you can be. And all of this has an effect. Yeah. Again, like so many different things to unpack here. Like when you're talking about that, when you're explaining that, it brought me back to the habit formation that we were just talking about and envisioning a runner creating like bad habits or bad uh, motivations that might not be serving them or they might actually be um, wanting to serve them. And I'm just envisioning a runner who like has their first race and they, um, get some enjoyment out of it and they just want to think like what to next. Like even you described um, you as a runner at the start when you're um, dealing with like consistencies and motivations and just constantly thinking of like what's next and um, they strive for the next uh, race or they strive for another, a faster time. And then they just get slowly um, ingrained into them, that motivation to perform or to get to the next race, get to the next race, go from half marathon to marathon to ultra. And that drive is actually forming a habit. Whereas when, whereas that habit might not be serving them completely. And when you're talking about doing something that they actually enjoy, maybe every now and then it's um, time to self-reflect and find what actually motivates them. Do they actually want to be constantly racing angry or trying to compete or trying to constantly beat others or beat themselves and run further? Or is it more about getting outdoors? Is it more about um, being the best version of yourself? Is it more about enjoying what you're doing? And um, maybe if that, like if you have that self-reflection at regular intervals, you're going to be having a more fulfilled running career. Um, What do you think about that? I think there's truth to that. I think that it doesn't have to be either or either. Um, You know, I think it's also important to think about you know, long-term versus short-term. And when I think of bad goals, you know, that's, that it, it, it's a harsh thing to say. It's a harsh term, but I think if, if you were going to say like, what would be a bad goal? The, th- the first thing that comes to mind is things that are too short-term. Okay. So say someone's like, Hey, I want, you know, I'm, right now I'm a 25 minute 5k runner. I want to break 24 minutes in the next three months. It's like, Hey, that is certainly possible. Okay. But let's think more process. In the short term, I think it's more beneficial to think process. Long term, create that big, hairy, audacious goal. You know, if the three-hour marathon is what you want to accomplish the next three to five years, great. I don't see anything wrong with that. I think that's a galvanizing force. I don't think that's a negative in any sense of the word. However, if you measure every single training run, dietary decision and night's sleep under the auspices of did this help me get to my long-term goal? Well, then all of a sudden what you're doing is a negative approach to a positive goal. So there's, there's elements there. Um, I think, you know, for the short-term side of things, you really start diving the process like, okay, 
so I know what I want to do. I want to run a three hour marathon and within the, you know, five years from now. So what do I need to do to get there? Okay. Well, maybe part of that is all right. Being able to run an hour a day. That's a big step up. Okay. So, you know, being able to, to do that would be, it would be a huge thing. Okay. Fantastic. Okay. What do I also need to do? All right. Well, I need to get faster. Right. So if I'm going to be running uh, at 651 pace per mile for a marathon, well, what does that mean? Well, it means that, you know, that that 651 pace has got to feel pretty comfortable. So I need to start training at so, you know, making sure that running six minute pace doesn't feel all that bad either. Right. So there's a lot of steps along the path. So that process in the short term, again, you can make small numerical goals in the short term as well. I don't want to make it seem like it has to be process oriented only, but I think a long term, big, hairy, audacious goal can be a huge galvanizing force when you zoom out on what you want to accomplish. But when you zoom back in to the decisions you make every day, day in and day out, it really matters more to be more process focused. Because if every single thing is a referendum on how you're doing, you're just going to be exhausted, man, trying to, trying to, trying to tabulate all of these positives and negatives into some crazy internal spreadsheet that you created. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's crazy to think about. I, I do... Uh, agree with you that that big audacious goal um, can be a really good reminder and it can help get you excited and help, um, you know, with your motivations to constantly building towards that goal. But it does need to be broken up into sections, subsections, all the way down to the like minute decisions as you're becoming like that or getting towards that goal. And it's all about understanding your body. It's all about making smarter decisions or interpreting certain situations and trying to make the the best decision possible based on all the information, you know, at the time we don't, uh, we don't have all the information. Like not every runner can know everything, but just a little bit of knowledge goes a long way to making these decisions, forming habits, you know, um, maybe finding enjoyment in a certain race or, uh, if you catch yourself, you know, running angry, like you're saying for a long period of time, um, maybe just pulling yourself back and self-reflecting. It's a, it's a really good mindset to put you in as a runner and can definitely, um, like if you're just making tweaks here and there, it can definitely change to a big fulfilling running career. Is there, um, can you suggest any other paths to running success and fulfillment that a runner may not consider if they, if their vision has been too narrowed based on like say PBs and races and that kind of thing. We kind of touched on like maybe getting outdoors and feeling good, but is there anything that a runner might want to explore that they haven't really touched on? Oh yeah, absolutely. I, I think that the, the best thing to do is to say, okay, what would I be, what excites me, right? Take a look around, look, look at different races. Um, maybe it's like, Hey, I haven't, I haven't really, seen how fast I can run a mile in a while. Maybe I can train to do that. Or maybe it's a completely other end of the spectrum. Maybe you're like, you know what? I, I would love to try an ultra marathon or, you know, one of these, you know, sometimes you see these stage races, right? It's like a four day stage race where you run 12 to 14 miles a day and then you camp overnight and then you do it again. And I think, I think a key thing for people Again, we're, we're dedicated amateurs here, right? There's no timeline. There's no linear process. There's no like, Oh, 
5K. I'm going to do the 5K for two years. Then I'm going to do the 10K for six months. Then I'm going to transition and then I'll be at the marathon in 10 years. And then, you know, here's my life plan when it comes to running. Like, I mean, hey man, if that floats your boat, do it. But like, I don't know anyone who get, I don't, I don't know anybody who would enjoy that kind of um, detailed, you know, mapping of their life. You know, maybe if you watch Parks and Rec and you're a big Leslie Nope fan, that, that, that fits your fancy. But besides that, I'm not sure how many people would, would uh, really want to do that. So just go the opposite. Say, all right, what really excites me? Well, then start there and then work backwards. And I think that when you start there, understand if it's going to be the shorter the race, the more margin of error, right? So if you're like, you know what, I'm going to train to run the best mile I can. I'm going to run a mile in six weeks. Great. You run the mile, you do it. And then you know how long it takes you to recover from that mile? One day. So, you know, if you didn't like it, big deal. Right? The next day you're going to be able to go out and run and, and try something else. If you're going to train for an ultra marathon, again, there's a, you know, the margin of error there is a little different because you, know, you go out and you run a, a 50 mile race, you know, you might be recovering for a, for a month. So if you're not sure if you want to run an ultra, well then don't run one until you're sure. If you're not sure if you want to go run like a mile or increase your, you know, the speed at which, you know, you, you, you run 200 meters. Well, that gets over pretty quick. You don't have to be, you know, super diehard about that goal. It can be a little bit more spontaneous. So, you know, the, the length of the event uh, necessitates maybe a firmer idea or understanding of your passion. But besides that, just stick with what you want to do, what gets you out of bed, what gets you jazzed and do that. And also, don't be afraid to experiment or even to, to shift from running for a little bit, right? I mean, like, there are plenty of really good runners who are triathletes. Like, they by nature are not only running. And they're fine. <laughs> there's, there's, there's triathletes who can run the sub-three-hour marathon. Again, not to stick on that theme all the time. I don't know why I keep sticking on that, but <laughs> I, I seem to be doing that. But, you know, you don't have to do that. You don't have to do anything, right? Like, you're, you know, you're, you know, if we're talking to some of our Aussie friends here, you might be like, you know what? I love running, but I love surfing too. Well, then freaking go surf for, for, for a bunch of months and maybe ease back of the running. And then when you know what? When you miss the running, then shift the other way. And that's totally fine. And ultimately, if you're an active person, activity in one area is going to affect your, you know, your overall athleticism in another. You know, we see it all the time you know, these things are not siloed off from each other. You only have one body. So if you're experiencing athletic success in one endeavor, is it going to help you with other things? For sure. Are certain activities going to help you, you know, more than others for running? Of course they will. If you're like, listen, I want to become the best shot putter in the world. Is that going to help you become a better long distance runner? Probably not, but you'll get stronger. And there's certainly a place for that. But if you're like, you know what, I want to get into, long distance out, you know, rough water swimming. Hey man, do it. Is that going to help you as a runner? Of course it will. <laughs> it's going to help your cardiovascular system immensely. You know what I mean? So if you're someone who's like, you know what, running just isn't, I'm not feeling it right now. Well then go take a break and do something else. No one says you have to. That's such a, a great take home message and a great way to kind of tie up this episode and a couple of a couple of words that come to my mind. You did say experiment. So I really love that you've put that out there and just variety, just creating variety. Like you're a recreational runner. You can do what you want. You have all the time in the world to work on these goals and just being spontaneous. So those, um, those key elements I think is a really good way of tying things up and just 
maybe not take yourself so seriously and maybe don't get too um, bummed out if you're not reaching the, the marathon goal or if the race gets canceled or if you're injured, like that sort of stuff. Just, um, just recognize that, you know, the world's, the variety is the spice of life and um, create that spontaneity and create, like just have the freedom to experiment. I think that's a really good um, message and, as we wrap up here, are there any other take home messages or practical tips that we haven't touched on that you might want to share to our listeners? Yeah. A couple of things. If you're, if you're a dedicated amateur runner, there's a certain, there's a few things that are universal. First of all, slow down on your easy run, slow down. Believe me, as long as your form is, isn't getting sloppy and causing you, you know, to change your stride and maybe lead, to injury, there's no such thing as too slow in your easy runs, but there is such a thing as too fast. So slow down. I was talking to someone yesterday who was a 10 times Sri Lankan world record holder. She runs her easy paces between 8.30 and 9.30 per mile, okay? If she can run that pace, so can you. It's not gonna hurt you negatively. Second thing is you know, the, the bang for your buck with strides at the end of a run is huge. So you're running five by 15 to 20 seconds at a fun, fast pace. When I think, say, fun, fast pace, I'm thinking like you're a 10-year-old kid running on the playground. Envision yourself in that mindset, doing that a couple of times a week, even if you're not doing a structured workout at all in your training. You do that twice a week at the end of your runs. It's going to have a huge benefit for your speed, your form, your neuromuscular system, all of those things. So I would say if you don't hire a coach, if you want to hire a coach, hey, hire me, go to McCurdyTrain.com. Love to have you as part of the team. But if you don't want to hire a coach and you're like, hey, what are two things that I can do that will help me in my running short-term, long-term, it's slow down those easy runs. Because if you don't, if you keep running in that gray zone, which is roughly half marathon pace, you're not, you're not going to be recovering from your workouts and you're going to build this deficit that's going to come back to haunt you later. Secondly, do those strides. It's so easy. It will take you three minutes. It will be fun. You'll run fast and it will help you become a better runner. Really cool. Really cool. Um, and so any, like when it comes to the social media, I've got the rambling runner.com, like you're on Twitter, you're on Instagram at rambling underscore runner. You've got the podcast, the rambling runner podcast. I can plug your, what was it? Business and sports discourse podcast as go. well. <laughs> and, you um, <laughs> you're, um, organizing virtual races as well. Uh, any, anywhere else that you uh, might want the listeners to go to find out more about you? That's about it. So for me, again, I'm on all the, the podcast platforms. You can go you know, search Rambling Runner or even my name, Matt Chittam, and they'll pop right up on the socials. It's you know, you know, rambling underscore runner. That's the best place to find me. My website is pretty much just a placeholder. You're not going to find a ton of stuff on there uh, now that the virtual race season is over. Um, but yeah, social media, Instagram and Twitter, uh, predominantly Instagram. If you're listening to this and you want to engage or you just want to see who we're featuring, go on there and see for yourself. Cool. Matt, thanks for uh, creating an avenue for inspiring runners through your podcast and helping people with like long-term fulfillment and helping people become better, healthier runners. And so I want to thank you for everything that you do throughout the running community. And thanks for taking the time to come onto the podcast and share your thoughts. Brody, it's my pleasure. Thank you for inviting me.
Thanks for listening to another episode of the Running Smarter Podcast. I hope you can see the impact this content will have on your future running. If you want to continue expanding your knowledge, please subscribe to the podcast and keep listening. If you want to learn quicker, jump into the Facebook group titled Become a Smarter Runner. If you want tailored education and physio rehab, you can personally work with me at breakthroughrunning.physio. Thank you so much once again. And remember, knowledge is power.